Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen, and happy new year to y'all as well. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromlow, and this week I'm joined by my man, Matt Barr, the co-host of the 4th and Gold podcast. And we have officially entered the beginning of a not just a new year, but a new decade. And Matt, is there seriously any better way to start it off than with some NFL playoff football? Absolutely not, man. This is going to be a fun weekend of wild card action. Uh, I know we'll get into all the predictions and everything, but I got a couple upsets lined up. So I'm really ready to get jumping into this. Oh, I'm not surprised to hear that. There are two games that I could see going either way. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting weekend indeed. But before we get into the playoff games, let's uh, focus on some other news and notes from around the NFL. Let's start with our Week 17 takeaways. And my takeaway was this. I've been praising Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores on the show for quite a while now, but last Sunday, he took it to a whole new level, becoming the first Dolphins head coach to defeat Tom Brady in a game that he played at home against the Dolphins in Foxborough. And this guy, uh, at the beginning of the season, people were saying, oh, the Dolphins are taking, uh, there were reports of players uh, wanting trades because they thought the coaching staff wasn't serious about winning. How wrong they were. All those predictions of 0-16, they won five games with the least talented roster in the NFL. That is a testament to the coaching job Brian Forrest has done. He is instilling a winning culture there in Miami, and the Dolphins are in a prime spot to take a big leap forward next year with three first-round picks, and when you look at the Bill Belichick coaching tree, uh, the vast majority of head coaches to come off that tree had have failed for one mm-hmm. reason or another, and uh, I don't count Bill O'Brien as a success quite yet uh, for, for many reasons, but Brian Flores this year showed that he could be the best head coach to ever come off the Bill Belichick tree, and that was my main takeaway from Week 17. I think you're absolutely right. And when you look at the AFC East, actually, across the board, they have three of the best coaches in the NFL. You know, obviously, Bill Belichick is in a class of his own, right? He's got six Super Bowl rings. He just his team's consistently in it every year. Uh, And then I like I really like Sean McDermott in Buffalo, too. And and I think he does a fantastic job in Buffalo. So so Brian Flores going down there uh, to Miami and and just putting together the season he put together. Uh, You're absolutely right. They traded off their best players. They traded their starting left tackle, their their first round pick safety and Minka Fitzpatrick. You just didn't see that. You, just, you didn't see any way they were going to be able to put it together. But I think Flores took a little while to get his coaching style in, get his uh, his mentality down, his his philosophy in. And once that started to kind of take root, it really it really blossomed. It really did. And what was your main takeaway from Week 17, Matt? My main takeaway, and you know, I'm going to lean I'm going to lean towards the 49ers here. <laughs> of course, but it's it's not the 49ers so much. It's Seattle, and Seattle once again chokes on the one yard line. Uh, you know, you can say what you want, pass interference or not on Fred Warner in the end zone later on. But when they had it first and goal on the one yard line and they go out and get an inexcusable delay of game penalty, because I, I look, I was watching that game. And I'm sitting there going, it's over. They're going to hand it off to Marshawn touchdown. 49ers are playing in the wild card round. They get an inexcusable delay of game. Pete Carroll, once again, game on the line on the one yard line. Can't get it done. Oh, that is a very, very good point. And yes, you could talk about the pass interference, no call, no review, uh, all you want. And heck, I don't think they would have overturned it given the track record this year. And plus, that rule is going to be thrown out the window for good uh, after the season is over. Mm-hmm. But that delay of game is even more the reason why the Seahawks lost. Because if it wasn't for that delay of game, as you said, they probably would have won. Absolutely. Marshawn Lynch takes that right over the top, just like he did earlier in the fourth quarter. I mean, that, that's that's 
Ping, bang, boom, it's done. Seahawks are Seahawks win. They win a division. 49ers are playing for a wild card. Instead, 49ers hold on. Dre Greenlaw makes a play of the year for San Francisco. And they're sitting at the one seed. And they're sitting at home this week. Just watching and preparing. Oh, you said it. And uh, talk about death by inches, as our man Vic Fangio would say. That game was a classic example of it. Absolutely was. I mean, it, we talk about a game of inches, right? And it sounds so cliche, but when it comes down to a game like that, where the winner is the first, you know, winner wins the division, comes down to the one-inch line. Not the one-yard line, not the half-yard line, the one-inch line. That ball was as close as it could possibly be without being in the end zone. Extremely reminiscent of when the 49ers lost against the Falcons. But instead of Julio Jones barely getting the ball over the line, Jacob Hollister couldn't get in there. Uh, yes, except uh, the Julio play, I think that was clearly a touchdown upon review. The Hollister play uh, was very hard to overturn the call of the field. So two uh, kind of different realms there. And now we go to our favorite game, truth or exaggeration. You obviously know how it goes. And we start in Cleveland, where Browns owner Jimmy Haslam, you could argue that right now he is just as bad of an owner as the Redskins' Dan Snyder. Truth or exaggeration. I mean, it's got to be truth, right? Yeah. If, if you look at it, we said we. I mean, me and you were saying earlier in the year that Freddie Kitchens had to go. Freddie Kitchens did have to go, but the, the amount of turnover they're going to have, even in the front office now, when they let John Dorsey go, it's just it, it's just waves of ineptitude, and they keep crashing on the beach and they keep crashing on the beach, and you're just going to wither away all this talent they have on that team. That Cleveland Browns team had no business finishing with the record they did. The amount of talent they had. It came down to ineffective coaching, came down to inexperience from the quarterback and from some of the other key positions, and ownership. I mean, really, they just don't know what they're doing there. And it it kind of it kind of stinks for the city of Cleveland because they've been they had their hopes so high this year coming in. And then everything just comes crumbling down like it does every year for the Browns. Yes, and I think a major factor in that team as well was as Michael Lombardi said, they were a team of characters and not a team with character. Like so many egos on that team that couldn't be controlled. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a really good way to put it. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, a lot, a lot of characters, not a lot of not playing with not playing with a lot of character. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if you thought the Redskins had the worst owner in the NFL, Jimmy Haslam, he is making a push for that distinction right now, and that is not good for the city of Cleveland or the Browns at all. And we go on to the Tennessee Titans, where rookie wide receiver A.J. Brown should be the front runner for Offensive Rookie of the Year right now. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to say exaggeration. I'm going to say exaggeration. It's only because there's one player that did it for the whole season. That's Josh Jacobs in Oakland. Running back did a great job all year. Look, A.J. Brown came on hot at the end. He came on very hot. He won me a fantasy football championship because I picked him up Congratulations. Thank you very much. (laughs) He won me a fantasy football championship with some big games down the stretch. I think he's been fantastic. I think we've seen guys do it for a longer period of time over the course of the year. And I think Josh Jacobs right now, it's his to lose. Now, recency bias, that may change, right? Voters get in their head that A.J. Brown has been this effective all year when he really hasn't been. They might give it to him, but I, I still think it's Josh Jacobs to lose. Oh, that's a very good point, but let's say he goes berserk against Stephon Gilmore on Saturday night, then uh, he could pull into a tie, or if not the lead, for that distinction. I understand that, but as a regular season award to me, which I I believe offensive rookie of the year, the rookie years, the MVPs, offensive player of the year, defensive player, I think they're all, to me, regular season awards, because some of these teams aren't playing in the playoffs, right? Josh Jacobs doesn't have a chance to go off against somebody in the playoffs. So I, I think you're right. Again, this is stuff that could sway the voters' minds, 
But as it stands right now, I think they should make their votes. They should have them in. As it stands right now, Josh Jacobs should win. Yes, and that is a very fair argument to make, Matt. And we go back to Miami, where Dolphins wide receiver Devontae Parker, get this, he was written off as a bust. And this was his fifth year of the league. He was the Dolphins' first-round draft pick in 2015. Everybody thought he, he was done for, that there was nothing else they could get out of him. Look at him this year. He had the fifth most receiving yards in the National Football League when perhaps everybody else had given up on him. So, truth or exaggeration, Dolphins wide receiver Devontae Parker should win Comeback Player of the Year award. I am going to say exaggeration. It's because I'm going to be a homer here. Uh, I think when you look at what Jimmy Garoppolo did coming off a torn ACL, leading the San Francisco 49ers to the number one seed, 13-3 record, you can say they rode the defense all they want. As, as the year went along, Jimmy Garoppolo put together incredible game after incredible game after incredible game, kept them in it, big completions, big conversions on third and long, fourth and fourth and whatever, he was doing it all. Um, Devontae Parker, fantastic season. I think you're absolutely right. Everyone had him written off as a bust. Talent was always there. I just I I gotta play Homer here. I gotta play Homer, and I gotta lean to my guy Jimmy G. Yeah, I don't fault you. Jimmy Garoppolo was a very instrumental reason why the 49ers are where they are right now with that number one seed in the NFC. Because if he doesn't play like the way he did uh, against the Saints a couple weeks back and against mm-hmm. the Rams a couple weeks ago, the 49ers are probably sitting in a wild card spot, regardless of how that game in Seattle turned out. Right, and, and not only that. I mean, in Seattle, he was 18 to 22. You don't oh, see quarterbacks going 18 to 22 for 285 yards on the road. Incredibly efficient. He, he's gotten rid of the Jimmy. I, I call him the Jimmy Garoppolo pass, right? The one pass a game where he stares down a receiver and he just throws it to that guy no matter what. He's eliminated that last couple of weeks. And, and that's why they are the number one seed. Because if he does that in the Green Bay game, in, in the Saints game, in, in the Rams game, they don't win those. They don't win those football games. I think Jimmy Garoppolo has really turned it on down the stretch. Oh, that is a very, very good point, Matt. And speaking of the Green Bay Packers, out of all the four teams who earned first-round playoff buys, the Green Bay Packers are the one most likely to be one and done. Truth or exaggeration? Big-time truth. Absolute big-time truth. I think when you look at the competition that's coming out of the AFC, particularly having to go to Baltimore and having to go to Kansas City, I don't really see them as much of a threat in the second round. Uh, San Francisco, it depends on who they get, right? They get Philly, they get Seattle, who knows? That, that's a whole different dynamic. But Green Bay, I think no matter who Green Bay gets, they're going to lose. I, I don't think they have it. I think they've lucked into a, a first-round bye. I think New Orleans is clearly the second-best team, if not the best team in the NFC. I, yeah, I think, I think Green Bay's done. I, I don't think they have it this year. I think they've just kind of snuck by. Yeah, I kind of think so, too, especially since they were entirely dependent on takeaways from their defense, as talented as they are, because uh, on games when they didn't force a takeaway, they were in big trouble. Yeah, and I think we saw some of the games against division opponents and, and against you know playoff teams. It, they didn't look nearly as good. I, I, I always go to the San Francisco stuff because it's what I know the best. But San Francisco absolutely drubbed the Packers. I mean, drubbed them. They were never in the game. It was they, from the from the first whistle. It was almost game over. I just don't think that Green Bay is built to win in the playoffs against this particular set of NFC teams. I think wherever Green Bay's weaknesses are or where the rest of everybody else's strengths are. And I think that all these teams match up well against Packers. 
Yep, couldn't agree more with you right there. And we go to the Packers, the NFC North Division rival Detroit Lions, who will have the third overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. And I think uh, you could pretty much put in Sharpie at this point, barring something unforeseen, that Joe Burrow will be the first overall pick to the Bengals. And the second overall pick will be Chase Young to the Redskins. So the draft essentially will begin with that third overall pick. So truth or exaggeration, the Detroit Lions should explore trading the third overall pick unless they like a certain player far more than others at that spot. Uh, yeah, I think you always have to be open to explore when it comes to trades, especially when you're sitting at a third round, third overall pick because there's there's a lot of quarterbacks. It's a quarterback-heavy draft this year, and I'm not sure if any team's going to want to jump up that high to get the next guy after Joe Burrow. But, man, you always have to be open to it. Look, if you can get some premier picks, especially let's say Miami falls in love with somebody and wants to package a couple of their first-round picks to move up, you know, it, I think you always have to be open to trading. Unless you have a guy that's an absolute home run. Like you said, it starts at the third overall pick. Unless they're absolutely in love with somebody, I'm okay with that moving out. Yeah, same here. It's going to be very interesting to see what the Detroit Lions do with that third overall pick. And speaking of the NFL drafted quarterbacks, Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa tweeted yesterday that he will make his decision on whether to declare for the draft or return to Tuscaloosa for a senior season on Monday. So truth or exaggeration, Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa would be making a colossal mistake if he decides to return to school for another season. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to say exaggeration. I don't think it would be a colossal mistake. It's not a decision I would make. Look, I think he's got to kind of capitalize on the fact that teams still think he can be the guy when he's coming off this injury. Now, he may not be the same player, but teams are going to take a look at him and they're going to think, you know what? He's been hurt before. He can move on from it. He'll get. He'll he'll be fine. He needs to get paid. The man's going to be a first-round pick if he comes out this year. He needs to get paid because if he goes back to school again next year, he gets hurt again. He's just going to tumble down draft boards because teams are not going to want to touch him with a 10-foot pole. So I'm, I don't think it's a colossal mistake, but I do think it's a mistake. So I'm saying just a slight exaggeration on that one. I actually support the idea of him returning because uh, that injury he suffered uh, has been considered career-ending in the past, and I think this would be a good opportunity for him to show the rest of the league that he's passed uh, that injury. And so what if he gets nicked up uh, on his uh, ankle or foot again? As long as it's not as catastrophic as the hip injury, he should still be a first-round pick in 2021 should he decide to go back to school. So I see uh, almost just as much reward to going back to school as there is a risk for Tua. Oh, well, there you go. Different strokes, man. I mean, we're not going to agree on everything, right? right. Uh, I just, I, I just, I, if I'm too, uh, I want to get paid. That's just where I'm at. I, I want to make sure I get my money. I get my big contract because again, if another, if another big injury hits, he could tumble and it would just, it just it'd, be, it'd be tragic to see someone just keep coming back to school just to have injury after injury, just really hinder his, his pro career. It most certainly would, but I hope uh, everybody out there understands, as uh, Matt and I have pointed out, there is a lot of gray area in this decision, and that's why nobody should be surprised either way at what mm-hmm. Tua decides to do on Monday. And now let's talk about the coaching carousel. Currently, there are four vacancies with the likely fifth on the way, and we start with the one that was filled just a couple days ago with the Redskins hiring Ron Rivera to be their new head coach. And with the hiring of Ron Rivera and the firing of Bruce Allen um, and the reorganization of the uh, front office, 
How hopeful should Redskins fans be? I understand that Daniel Snyder does not deserve the benefit of the doubt, but at least uh, one of the more problematic guys at that front office was let go, and uh, Ron Rivera looks like he's going to have a lot of power over the roster. Yeah, I just want to start off by saying Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Let's <laughs> um, do my best Dan Snyder impression there. Yeah, keep um, that it as a joke, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, look, I think the Redskins should. I think Redskins fans should be a little bit optimistic. I think we saw a little bit from Dwayne Haskins down the stretch to show that he can be that guy. I think they had a lot of rookie contributors. Uh, you know, they're going to move on from some of their older veterans. I think guys like Brian Kerr are going to be on their way out. If they can put together another solid draft and, and get guys top to bottom, they're going to be able to come in and help their roster. They'll be fine. Look, the hiring of Riverboat Ron Burgundy, I think, is great. I love that hiring for Washington. I think he's a steady hand. I think he's a, he's, he's a veteran coach. He knows what he's doing. And he's going to be able to get these guys on the straight and narrow. And I really like that signing. Um, I even like this. I even like them bringing in Jack Del Rio to be his defensive coordinator. Uh, I'm not a huge guy. I'm not a huge Jack Del Rio as a head coach guy. But I think he brings a lot of fire. And I think he can be a good defensive coordinator. Because Washington has a lot of talent on defense. Uh, now, they haven't shown it necessarily, but I, did, I wasn't a huge fan of Greg Minuski as the defensive coordinator before. I think the Redskins should be looking up. Um, I know we talked about, do we think that Jimmy Haslam is the worst owner in, in, in pro football now? And I think by Dan Snyder being man enough to fire Bruce Allen, I think he's showing a step in the absolute right direction. Oh, that is a very good point. But I believe Dan Snyder's challenge from here on out is to uh... – not meddle in any of Ron Rivera's decisions and give him full autonomy over the roster and don't undercut his decisions one way or the other because you've given him a five-year contract. You have to treat him that way by making him the ultimate boss of your football operation for these next three to five years. Absolutely, and I think Ron Rivera comes with enough of a presence to do that. I don't think somebody like Jay Gruden had that presence, right? He's a first-time head coach. I don't think he, he came in with that aura. I think when Ron Rivera walks into a room, I mean, we saw how classy he was when he, when he left Carolina and he had his exit interview, his exit press conference. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Ron Rivera. I think, like I said, I think he's the nice steady hand that Washington needs to take the next step. And if you look at their division, not a great division top to bottom. If there's a team that can maybe make a big jump this year from worst to first, or next year, excuse me, from worst to first next year, you know, Washington might not be a bad one to look at. Oh, absolutely not, especially uh, should they get Chase Young as expected because as talented as their defense is right now, just think of how great it could be with Chase Young on board with that defensive front with him and Mata Sweat coming off the edge. And uh, Ryan Kerrigan, should they decide to keep him uh, for an extra year, make a NASCAR package out of that. And Deron Payton, Jonathan Allen inside. Are you freaking kidding me? That front four? Good luck. Yeah, that, that that's shades of San Francisco right now, right? That's a ton of talent. And that's a ton, a ton of talent with a lot of first-round picks that are invested on it. And, and look, I, I, I think if they can put that together, as we've seen in San Francisco, uh, an unbelievable pass rush can completely change the defense. It most certainly can, and that's a very good point. The Redskins could be copying the 49ers' blueprint uh, this offseason. And now we go to Cleveland in that coaching search, where it's been reported that Paul D. Podesta, who has been uh, clamoring for a voice uh, in this organization for many, many years, uh, looks like he finally got his wish. He is leading the uh, head coaching search, and uh, he will be the one who to hire the next head coach, and the head coach uh, will be the one that hires the new GM. And according to Benjamin Albright, our mutual friend, and who's currently over at the Pro Football Network, he has reported that the two most likely head coach GM pairings for the Browns our Vikings offensive coordinator, Kevin Stefanski, and uh, Eagles VP of football operations, Andrew Barry, or 
Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels and uh, Patriots uh, scouting director Dave Ziegler, or this is one you can't count out yet. They interviewed him today, Mike McCarthy and Andrew Barry. Which one of those three head coach GM pairs do you think would be the most ideal for the Cleveland Browns? I like Barry and McCarthy. I think McCarthy took a year off, and I think he's able to uh, take a step back from the game. And you know, you talk to you hear people talking in his camp, and they say that he just watches football nonstop. He's been doing homework for a year. He has him sitting at home, not paying attention. He's watching everything that goes on. A big part of his rift in, in Green Bay was that Aaron Rodgers wanted to call his own plays. Right. Aaron Rodgers wants to go do his own thing. He wants to audible. We had that 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 Sam soundbite from Matt LaFleur uh, early, early on in the year where he's like, no, we don't audible here. And that was a huge deal. I was like, oh, oh LaFleur and, and Rodgers already not getting along. Back to Mike, Mike McCarthy. I don't think Baker Mayfield is the same offensive mind that Aaron Rodgers is. He's not going to want to call audibles. He's just going to want to have everything laid out for him very nicely. And I think Mike McCarthy can do that. I think he knows how to force feed the ball to your best players. I think he knows how to create a lot of space. If you look at what he did with with mediocre receivers and Aaron Rodgers, I think he can do better with Baker Mayfield and and much better receivers. I don't want to say better, but he can do pretty well. Um, I, I like I like McCarthy and I like Barry. I think that's the combination because I'm more of a, a coach before the GM sort of thing. I think the coaching on the field, if as long as they get along with the GM, you can really have whoever you want. Um, so I'm going to say McCarthy and Barry. Yeah, that's a very good point. And now we go to Dallas and the Cowboys where the clapper is still yet to be fired, but word has it that they're going to wait until January 14th, which is the date his contract expires to officially let him go because they don't want to fire him because Jason Garrett is kind of like a son to Jerry Jones because uh, he was a player under Jerry Jones and he was a coach and coordinator under Jerry Jones for many years. So the Cowboys are going to try to be classy here and uh, let Jason Garrett go in a way that's not malicious, so to speak. But outside of treating him like a family member and ending this gracefully and respectfully, is there any other legitimate reason to wait until Jason Garrett's contract expires on the 14th? No, he's a lame duck. Like, what are you doing? You want to spare his feelings? Okay, well, while you're sparing his feelings, you can't go interview for other jobs. Look, jobs are going to fill up. Jason Garrett's not getting another head coaching job in the NFL anytime soon. He's not. So I'm not going to say he's going to go to Cleveland. You know, he's not going. He's obviously not going to Washington. He's not going anywhere as a head coach, but he could go get an offensive assistant coaching job somewhere else. And they're really, they're really castrating him at this point by not letting him do that. By saying, Hey, we're going to be nice. And we're just going to let you go when your contract expires. Why? What, what are you doing for the next 12 days? Why is that important? Uh, yes, but this has led to some other people in the building, according to Ed Warder uh, this morning, uh, who reported that some, uh, at uh, the Star at Frisco are starting to think that Jason Garrett might be given another role within the organization. Uh, should he? I, w- what role would it be? Where do you go? Where do you go from failed head coach? Uh, like uh, I think the most recent precedent I could think, uh, although this wasn't a failed head coach, is the Broncos when Gary Kubiak stepped out after the 2016 season, uh, mainly due to health reasons. Uh, they brought him back as a scouting advisor. And uh, they were thinking about uh, grooming him to take over the GM job after Elway's Kirk contract expires. But uh, those plans obviously went awry when Kubiak got the offer from the Vikings. Uh, so, but Kubiak is like the most recent guy I could think of. But other than that, there's not that much precedent for it. Yeah, I don't know where he's going to go because if he goes to the front office, he's still working for Jerry Jones, right? Jerry right. Jones is still is still is still calling the shots. I don't see what his role with the team would be. I, I it, it, it'd be ceremonial. 
maybe he's gonna be clapping in the in the press box next to Jerry Jones on the games instead of on the sideline. I don't I don't understand why they're keeping him around. I, I get it. He's like a son. He's family. You can still text him on Christmas. You can still send him a Christmas card. You can still hang out with him on the Fourth of July. You can still barbecue together. But just just move on from the man. He he hasn't been able to put it together for the Cowboys. They have a super talented roster. They haven't won for years. Just move on from him. Just 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 cut the cord, man. Just get it over with. Yeah, I agree. I think they should cut the cord well before the 14th so they could get a head start on the uh, head coaching search. And earlier today, the Pro Football Hall of Fame released the list of the 15 modern era finalists for the Centennial Class of 2020. And they are as follows. Troy Polamalu, legendary Steeler safety. Legendary Colts running back, Edward James. Reggie Wayne, his first year of eligibility. He will be a finalist. Uh, the second most decorated wide receiver in Colts history behind only Marvin Harrison. Steve Atwater, the guy with the hit heard around the world uh, who has been uh, waiting for so gosh darn long to enter the Hall of Fame. John Lynch, 49ers GM and uh, legendary safety for the Bucks and Broncos in his seventh try. Packer safety Leroy Butler, his first time as a finalist. Uh, Rams wide receiver Isaac Bruce, and uh, he was with the 49ers for Reeston as well, the fifth mm-hmm. Uh, most receiving yards in NFL history. Torrey Holt, his uh, teammate in the greatest show on turf. Dolphins linebacker Zach Thomas, a first-time finalist. Former Saints and Panthers linebacker Sam Mills, the late Sam Mills, that is a first-time finalist. Tony Baselli, one of the more underrated left tackles in NFL history, back as a finalist for, I believe, the fourth straight year. Alan Fanica, I believe, back in the room for like the third or fourth straight year. And uh, Steve Hutchinson is back in for the third straight year as well. And Bryant Young, former 49er defensive tackle from the 90s, and Richard Seymour, former Patriots defensive tackle from the 2000s. So out of those 15, who would your five enshrinees be? Let's uh, share it with each other. The only slam dunk on this list, I think, is Troy Polamalu because he and Ed Reed were like the trendsetters for the modern-day safety position with Troy Polamalu at the strong safety position and Ed Reed at free safety. Both of those guys, like... uh, illustrated what a modern-day free safety and strong safety respectively should be like. Lock Troy Polamalu in. Absolutely. Lock Troy Polamalu in. I mean, I don't think there's any question. He's first ballot. Um, I think when you look at the rest of the list, it's tough. I really dislike the way the NFL does this. I really don't like the only five guys get in. I'm a big fan of, of what baseball does, and it's not very often that I say I'm a big fan of what baseball does. But But baseball just says, hey, here's our finalists. You need to vote on them. They need to get 65% of the vote. They get 65% of the vote. They are in. Don't care how many it takes. However many you're going to get in on 65% vote, I think that's what you do. I don't like this whole uh, only five guys, only 15 finalists, You know all, all, these, all these cap numbers because some really good guys get left out of the Hall of Fame and off the final finalist list. And I'm going to get a 49 soapbox here for a second. Patrick Willis deserved to be on this finalist list. He absolutely is his first year of eligibility. Patrick Willis is a first ballot Hall of Famer, in my opinion. I think he was the best linebacker in the league from the minute he showed up until the, pretty much the second to last season he played. He's the best linebacker in the league. I think he should be on the list. Oh. But anyway, back, back to the other guys I think that should get in. Um, I think Reggie Wayne should get in. I think John Lynch should get in. I'm going to say I'm going to say Baselli. I think you're absolutely right. I think he's a very underrated left tackle, and I think he absolutely should get in. And then – Man, Isaac Bruce. So I got two safeties, two wide receivers, and a left tackle. 
Oh, I completely agree about Tony Baselli and for the same reasons about Patrick Willis. Uh, one of the things that I don't like about this uh, Hall of Fame selection process, at least as far as the Pro Football Hall of Fame is concerned, is that they put too much emphasis on longevity. Like, uh, Tony Baselli only played like six years, but for those six years, that entire time, he was the best left tackle in football. Just watch him in that wildcard playoff game against Bruce Smith in, in 19, January 1997. He shut down the NFL's all-time sacking in that game. Unbelievable. And very few left tackles, even the Hall of Fame ones, cannot say that they shut down Bruce Smith for an entire game in the playoffs. Tony Baselli can. Tony Baselli should be in the Hall of Fame. Get rid of this longevity bias nonsense. Because uh, we saw it with uh, Gail Sayers uh, uh, didn't have that that long a wait, but neither should Patrick Willis. And the same reason, uh, I believe, also applies to, uh, God, uh, oh, Terrell Davis. Yeah, Terrell Davis shouldn't have waited so long because Terrell Davis, uh, even though he only had like uh, four or five good years, he was the best running back for that, that entire time. That entire time, and he had like a 2,000-yard season, won a Super Bowl MVP in, in that process, and a league MVP too. Like uh, the NFL and the Pro Football Hall of Fame have got to get rid of this longevity bias nonsense. Yeah, I really don't like it because um, we're coming up in – we're about to come into an era of NFL players who are going to retire early, yes. right? We've seen it from Patrick Wills. We've seen it from from Calvin Johnson. You can go back. You can look at Andrew, Andrew Luck just did it, right? right? It seems like every year there's going to be guys that just straight up are like, I have to retire. My body doesn't work anymore. It's too much of a beating that I take every week, you know, week in, week out. I can't do it. I think they need to get rid of it. I think they need to look at when this person was playing, where did they rank in the echelon of 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 their position, right? Patrick Willis was the best linebacker in the league. That league included Ray Lewis, who might be the best linebacker to ever play. It also included Brian Urlacher, who is no slouch. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer for a reason, too. Absolutely. You're looking at Brian Urlacher, you're looking at Ray Lewis. There's a whole bunch of guys that he was playing alongside of, and he was the best one. He was the best one. I think he absolutely deserved to be on this list. Longevity thing, it's got to go. But uh, but who else, who else did you have getting in other than, other than Palomalu? Uh, I had Baselli getting in. I think you're going to have to go with Alan Fanica here. The guy was a six-time first-team All-Pro, and uh, Will Shields, a guy with a similar uh, resume, was enshrined in the Hall of Fame after three years of uh, eligibility. This is Fanica's third or fourth year. It's long past due for Alan Fanica. Yes, a lot of people say, well, he's a guard. No, but guards are revered in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's time Mm -hmm. for another one. Get Alan Fanica in. So Tony Baselli, Alan Fanica, and Troy Polamalu are my three. I love John Lynch, too. But I think I'm going to be a homer here and go with Steve Atwater because Steve Atwater <laughs> was like one of the first great undersized safeties, so to speak. But he he showed he was just as strong as guys that were a million times bigger than him as he showed on that infamous hit on uh, the Nigerian Nightmare, uh, Christian Okoye. Uh, Steve Atwater, uh, and he was a staple of those uh, Broncos defenses in the 80s. I believe he was on one of those all-decade teams, whether in the 80s or 90s. He was on one of those two lists. You got to get Steve Atwater into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I wholeheartedly agree, Isaac Bruce. Isaac Bruce is currently fifth all-time receiving yards. I believe he was third all-time, if not higher, when he retired. So Isaac Bruce, get him in the Hall of Fame. He is long overdue. So I got Isaac Bruce. 
two safeties and two offensive linemen for my five uh, modern era finalists. Although uh, all these guys have an equally compelling case, in my opinion, and uh, it's going to be a very, very uh, tough choice. And now uh, let's uh, talk about the main topic on the minds of football fans this weekend. It is wild card weekend, and it starts off on Saturday afternoon in Houston, where the Houston Texans host the Buffalo Bills. And this is the hardest game for me to pick this weekend, hands down. I think it's going to be very, very close. This is my favorite matchup of the weekend. It's my favorite matchup uh, just because I, I, I like both these teams, and I think that Houston can be so dynamic when they want to be, and Buffalo can shut down dynamic teams when they want to, and I don't know what we're going to get out of this, and you're absolutely right. This one is the biggest toss-up for me. I got to take Buffalo, though. I really, I really think that, that McDermott has this team ready. You know, they went one and done with Tyrod Taylor against the Jaguars a couple of years ago. I think they're ready to win a playoff game because the last time Buffalo won a playoff game, Josh Allen wasn't even born yet. I think it's time. I think they start. I think they finally get off the schneid and win a playoff game. You could very well be right. Like I said, uh, the team that I pick uh, right now, and we're speaking. My prediction could turn out to be completely different by Saturday morning, for crying out loud. I am having that difficult of a time picking this game. But the main matchup I'm looking forward to in this game is obviously that of DeAndre Hopkins going up against the Tredavious White, who is at least one of the top two corners in the game of football. But here is a potential mismatch the Texans could exploit in that matchup. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins has lined up in the slot on nearly a third of his snaps, and he has been absolutely dominant in the slot. Tredavious White has only lined up in the slot less than 4% of the time. Don't you think that is a potential way for the Texans to win that matchup by putting Hopkins in the slot and forcing White to come into the slot? Well, that's what this game is all about, right? It is creating mismatches and taking advantage of them. I think that's absolutely something we're going to see from Bill O'Brien and, and, and the Houston Texans offense. I, I don't know if you're going to change your game plan as, as the Bills. That, that's why the playoffs are so so crazy, right? Because you look at it and – you change up what you do randomly in the playoffs. Like it's something you normally you normally wouldn't do, right? Do they just have Tredavious White straight up shadow DeAndre Hopkins the whole time? Is that something they do, or do they stick with their normal game plan where he just plays the outside and that's what he does? I, I don't know what they're gonna do with it, but I, I think after you get past DeAndre Hopkins, I think that's where Buffalo's secondary can take a little bit of advantage. If they can just bracket Hopkins the whole game, I think the the banged up wide receiver core for Houston is gonna fall a little short. Yeah, yes, and even if Will Fuller plays, I don't think he's going to be 100%, uh, and it's re- very hard to trust that guy to be available. It really is, and that's such a shame. He's such a he's such a talent. He's this guy that just can't quite stay healthy. I don't want to say injury-prone. I hate saying that about players, but he just can't, he can't stay healthy. Yes, and the fact that he's probably not going to be 100% uh, makes me want to pick the Bills, but at the same time, there is something to be said about Deshaun Watson. Yes, uh, he uh, was very inconsistent the second half of the season, but he seems to always turn it on when the lights are the brightest. He did that in college, and I think he's bound to do it uh, sometime soon in the NFL, and soon being this Saturday. So for now, I'm going to take the Texans, but it'll be a very close game, uh, 20 to 17. And if you talk to me on Saturday, I could have a completely different pick. So uh, we, we both like the Bills for now, but mine is a substitute change there. And on yeah. Saturday night, we go to Foxborough, believe it or not, where Brian Flores and the Dolphins uh, made the Patriots 
uh, play on Wildcard Weekend for the first time in more than 10 years uh, since 2009 as they will host the, the Tennessee Titans and former New England Patriot Mike Vrabel as uh, their head coach. And this Saturday night, it calls for mucky, rainy weather at Foxborough. That may play into adva- the advantage of the Patriots given the, st- the style of play that they play, but uh, I wouldn't go that far as to say it gives them a overwhelming advantage because the Titans are going to want to run the ball with Derrick Henry all day long too, so I think uh, the weather could favor both teams equally. Don't you think so? I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And and Derrick Henry, he's he's such a funny running back because at the beginning of the year, he's never that good. But then by the end of the year, when everyone's all tired and broken down and battered, that's when Derrick Henry really turns it on. And I think if this turns into a slot fest, I think he's big enough. I think he's strong enough. I think he's fast enough, sure-footed enough that his running style isn't, you know, east-west. He's very much a north-south runner. And I think that if they can open up some holes for him and he can break into the secondary, he's going to be extremely hard to tackle in 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 that weather. But also, you know, the Patriots, they live on the short passing game. They live on the running game. They're not airing a ball out downfield. They don't have the wide receivers to do it anymore. Uh, it, I I think you're right. I think it kind of weighs for both teams equally. And I think we're going to see a low-scoring slop fest. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, especially considering how outstanding both of these defenses have been uh, all season long. And another key matchup I have my eyes on in this game, even in this weather, uh, is uh, Stephon Gilmore going up against A.J. Brown. Uh, because uh, as great as Stephon Gilmore has been all season, Devontae Parker ate his lunch last weekend. And uh A.J. Brown, uh, maybe on just one or two plays of eating his lunch, it can be the difference in the game. Yeah, we've seen A.J. Brown's home run potential, right? He's a guy that can take a slant. You can take 80 yards to the house just because of the speed and size he has. And it, once he gets once he gets some green grass in front of him, he's it really hard to bring down. Uh, I, I think I think that's absolutely a key matchup. I think New England, if they want to win this game, they have to keep A.J. Brown or Derrick Henry under wraps. I don't think you're going to be able to keep both of them under wraps the whole game, but you have to pick you, you have to pick your poison. You have to go with one of them. Um, and Stephon Gilmore against A.J. Brown is going to be huge. Yes, and who do you have winning this game, Matt? Oh, man. Um, so I'm going to say this about another game too, but the NFL playoffs are not about who the best team is. They're about who is the hottest and who is the healthiest. And right now, New England is limping into the playoffs. I, I they they've lost the last couple of their games, you know, especially against New, Miami. I think that's just such a such a downer. Uh, Tennessee had to win to get in, you know. I think we're looking at Tennessee takes this one, super low scoring, like like thirteen six. I'm sorry, super low scoring on this one. Ooh, very interesting there. As much as the Patriots are limping in right now. There's a saying that a wounded animal is the most dangerous animal of them all. Mm. And the Patriots have been here and done that time and time again. I think it is still foolish to bet on them, especially on Wild Card Weekend. I have the New England Patriots uh, winning this game 20-10. to 10. And on Sunday afternoon in New Orleans, a rematch of the Minneapolis Miracle Game from two years ago as the Vikings traveled to New Orleans to take on the Saints. And uh, this might be one of the bigger quarterback mismatches, according to some people at least, uh, in terms of uh, who do you trust more to uh, make the big plays in this kind of game. People are still going to trust Drew Brees way more over Kirk Cousins. And while I still think the Saints win this game, 
I think the Vikings are going to make it very difficult on them, and here's why. Not only do they have Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison coming back for this game uh, after some much-needed rest the past couple of weeks, they uh, are going against a depleted Saints defensive line that is missing Sheldon Rankins and Marcus Davenport. So uh, there's a lot of uh, second-string guys on that defensive line that I think the Vikings uh, could exploit that the Saints' uh, previous opponents these last couple of weeks could not exploit. Yeah, look, I, oh man, I, this game is another one where I just, I, I just think the Saints are going to run away with this one. I really do. It's, it's the, the New Orleans, they're in a different beast when they're inside the Superdome. Incredibly hard to beat, especially in the playoffs. Um, you know, we've seen this matchup time and time again this past decade between Minnesota and New Orleans in, in the playoffs. Uh, we saw Brett Favre uh, against the Saints, where he threw it across his body and lost the game. We saw the Minnesota miracle. I just think I think Drew Brees outguns Kirk Cousins. I, I know that, that, that Minnesota's getting healthy and stuff. I know that there's some losses on the defensive line for New Orleans. I just don't think that they can keep Minnesota can keep up offensively when it comes to big plays because I think New Orleans is built for big plays. Yeah, and how much do you see the Saints winning this game by? I got them winning by two scores. I I, I just don't think it's going to be that close. Um, I think New Orleans is kind of mad that they came within one inch of having a first round bye, and uh, I think they're going to be ready to come out and uh, and get it going. Uh, you've seen I'm not sure if you've seen Sean Payton out on Twitter the last couple weeks, but he's been a little snippy. He's not super happy about this, so he's not super happy that they are the three seed. I think he's going to have these boys ready to rock and roll, and I think they're gonna they're just going to take it to Minnesota and win by two scores. I have the Saints winning too, albeit by 31-27. And uh, you want to know why it's going to be that close? Stay tuned for my bold prediction a little bit later on in the show. And last but not least, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles ended up winning the NFC least despite being absolutely depleted by injuries. And they play host to the Seattle Seahawks who are limping in themselves uh, with that uh, backfield of theirs, especially uh, that Ruddy Gate being a staple of their offense. Uh, they're going to have to get even more creative this week than they even were last week for crying out loud. So it should be interesting. I saw you tweet that you actually think the Eagles are going to win this game. I did. I did. And I do. Um, and, and it comes down to, like I said, hottest and healthiest, right now, both now, neither Philly or Seattle are healthy. Neither one are, but Philly is cooking with gas when it comes to these young practice squad guys that are calling up and you got guys that want to play. I think we saw Nelson Aguilar. We saw Alshon Jeffrey earlier on in the year, just not seem like they want to be there, right? They just, they're not catching passes or alligator arm and stuff. They're just, Oh, the lights got in my eyes. These young guys have something to prove. They're hungry. They want to come out and play. Uh, Doug Peterson has this offense cooking right now. Uh, Miles Sanders has come on extremely strong Seattle. I mean, they're missing Dwayne Brown. They're missing their top three running backs. Marshawn Lynch is back, but you know, I don't know how much we're going to see out of him. He only saw, I think it was 10 carries in the 49ers game. Uh, you know, they're, they're, Michael Kendricks just went down for the year with an ACL for Seattle. Um, I just, I just don't, I, I don't see Seattle flying across the country going into a nasty, nasty Philadelphia stadium where those fans are going to be hyped. I don't see them going into Philly and winning. Uh, you might have uh, persuaded me somewhat, but not entirely. I still think uh, <laughs> the Seahawks win this game because they have the best player on the field on Sunday afternoon, and that is Russell Wilson. 
I don't see anybody on the Eagles that comes close to matching uh, that level of play. Carson Wentz, uh, he's going to fight, uh, but uh, being down uh, all your main passing weapons, including Zach Ertz, who I don't expect to play because... Uh, as uh, pro football doc, uh, Dr. David Chow tweeted uh, that if uh, Zach Ertz does play, he risks uh, further damaging that kidney and forcing the kidney to be removed, for crying out loud. And I think that's way too dangerous of a risk to take, even in the playoffs. So I don't expect Zach Ertz to play. And while uh, Boston Scott and Miles Sanders, who will play despite the ankle injury, uh, give uh, the Eagles some hope, especially going against uh, that uh, Seahawks linebacking core minus Michael Kendricks, I still think uh, the Eagles secondary is just way too vulnerable against Russell Wilson in this passing attack. The Seahawks got enough big plays to come away with a 23-16 win in Philly. And now it's bowl prediction time. Matt, what is your bowl prediction for Wild Card Weekend? It's going to be messy in Foxborough. It's going to be messy. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be gross. My bold prediction is that Tom Brady is held under 200 yards passing. He throws for no touchdowns and two interceptions. Ooh. And uh, if that happens, the talk about whether or not this will be the last hurrah for Tom Brady in New England will only get louder if that happens. And my bold prediction is this. Even a losing effort, Kirk Cousins torches the Saints defense for 350 yards and three touchdowns. And the only reason why the Vikings lose this game is because their defense cannot stop Michael Thomas and Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara and that Saints passing attack. And now time for our challenge flags. Matt, why don't you go first here? I am going to challenge the home teams to win. And challenge the home teams to win. Because I, I split it two and two, right? I'm going to challenge the home teams to win. This, this is the game. You fight all season long to win your division so you get a home game. You get a home game in the playoffs, and I just want to see the home teams win. Now, I don't, I'm not necessarily rooting for the home teams. I just, I think if you put yourself in this position, you can't be giving up the home field advantage and losing. Very good challenge flag, my friend, and I have a similar but more specific challenge flag, and that goes to Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, you were known as a guy in college who just lit the world on fire when the stakes were the highest. Please do so again. Show us that you have what it takes to continue that kind of play in the NFL and be that quarterback that lifts this uh, Texas franchise that has been mired in mediocrity for so many years up to higher heights. Prove that you're the guy to do that this week by playing the best game of your career on Saturday. And he is Matt Barr, ladies and gentlemen, the co-host of the 4th and Gold podcast, a must-listen for not only 49ers fans, but all football fans in general. And you can follow him on Twitter at MattBarr underscore. And thank you very much, Matt. And that's it for today here on Sports Crush. But we'll be back next week to preview Divisional Playoff Weekend, arguably the best football weekend of the year, and mm. digest even more of the latest news and notes from around the NFL. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrutch.com and remember that's crutch with a k and if you enjoy these podcast episodes please consider leaving us an itunes review and donating to our patreon at patreon.com slash so we can improve our itunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like matt you can also follow me on instagram and twitter at dcrom 59 for matt Barr, this is david cromwell saying so long and of course stay awesome everybody <laughs>